call it breaking into advertising, it almost sounds criminal. And after today's episode with Shahar Marone, you might understand why. But that's why I'm here. I'm here to expand your network and share stories that you can learn from to apply to your own life and to your own break-in. Shahar's break-in scheme is equal parts inspiring as informative. He started cartooning in college classrooms to consulting for large brands. Shahar is an expert in copywriting, branding, strategy, and teaching. He's the gatekeeper between UIUC students and graduating on time. He's seen hundreds of campaigns and knows how to get students into their dream jobs. So this episode is applicable to every ad student today on the planet or that's ever lived, as well as recent grads. Um, his story is, draws a lot of parallels where he graduated through a recession, which applies to today's epidemic, of course. Before I get into the show, COVID-19 Business Fellowship Program. They're looking for advertising, design, and marketing-related majors to do pro bono work for small businesses in Illinois. Bottom line is this. They're going to give you professional experience this summer. Your original plans might have changed, so this is the perfect opportunity for you. You're going to do real work, you're going to be paired with mentors, and they're going to get you uh, basically a jump start to your advertising career. So for that, covidfellows.com for more information, or you can reach out to me. But um, for more opportunities like this on the fly, go to Instagram and follow me at Entering Ad. And if you find anything useful, please give this podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts. And as usual, this is the Breaking and Entering Podcast. I'm your host. No, I'm your accomplice. Gino Schellenberg. Hello, Shahar. Hey, Gino. How's it going? Thank you so much for being on this episode of the Breaking and Entering Podcast. I'm super excited to have you. And I know a lot of my peers are excited for this episode as well. Yeah, can't wait to do it. I was just uh, listening to your uh, other podcasts just to kind of get caught up, and those are some tough acts to follow. I'm sure you'll do just amazing. So to get us started, who is Shahar Marone talking right now for the audience? Uh, I am the um, instructor for the Advertising Capstone course, known as the Sandwich Project at U of I. Uh, I've been teaching at U of I now in advertising for six years, just wrapped up. Um, and then, uh, depending on how much detail you want to get into of my backstory, I was also once, uh, an advertising student at U of I, um, both undergrad and masters. So I've kind of seen it from both sides. So former student, now professor, you also are working, uh, on the, the graduate program, which is what the SBC, what does that stand for? Yes, uh, strategic brand communication. We have a online master's program designed for working professionals um, to become great brand strategists and brand managers. Um, so I teach the intro course for that, and I'm also the academic director. Amazing. So pretty high up in the higher education in itself. Also, um, I understand that you are involved with a lot of the undergraduate students. Running that capstone course is really important for our university as that's kind of like your final stepping stone to graduating. You have to complete this. Um, it's like your final transition mark as a student to be um, a full-time employee. That's right. I like to say I'm the one who decides if uh, students graduate on time. Um, the gatekeeper. I, yeah, the gatekeeper. I kind of see my role as almost like quality control. So when students are um, right in my class, they're right on the cusp of graduating, and uh, I need to determine if they're ready for prime time. Um, which is why I designed the course to simulate real agency experience um, because I spent most of my career in industry. So I want to give students a taste of that as much as possible. So let's talk about your career. I, I know you're specialized in copywriting. You also have worked in small agencies. You are also running your own consulting firm right now. Where do we start from the days that you were cartooning in class? Yeah, let's start with that. Um, you know, I when I was a student, uh, first in undergrad in advertising, and then later on, I stuck around uh, for an extra year to get my master's. Um, I wasn't a great student. I I went to class sometimes. I mostly followed instructions. I got, you know, B pluses and A minuses kind of stuff. But um, I spent most of my time at the Daily Illini drawing a cartoon um, called Blue Rice. That was really my passion. That was the thing I looked forward to every day and the thing that I was most known for. Um, the good news is later on, I learned that a lot of the skills it took to uh, do cartooning 
also translate over to the advertising world, although at the time I didn't really see it that way. Um, so yeah, I had some of the same some of the same professors that you guys did. I knew Steve Hall and Peter Sheldon and Patrick Vargas. Um, and uh, yeah, I was tr just trying to make that leap. So when you were doing this cartooning, did you, for the Daily Line, which is a school newspaper, did you know that this was gonna be important for your advertising career or did you see a connect or a parallel between cartoons and advertising? Unfortunately, I did not make that connection until after I had kind of a rocky entry into advertising. I saw them as two separate things, which was wrong. Um, partly because I, I still kind of had hopes of going pro. You know, I was never like, um, I was never going to be a professional athlete or musician, but I actually came pretty close to being able to cartoon professionally. Um, and so at the time I thought like, oh, you know, I'll put together a cartooning package and try to get syndicated that sort of a thing was in, con in contact with people. And then advertising was this whole other side of me where I you know, had a resume um, and portfolio. And um, honestly, I was kind of generic with my approach to that. I, I almost entirely stripped advert or uh, stripped cartooning out of my, my, my personal brand. I didn't really call it that at the time. Okay. Um, you know, I just thought, hey, advertising people aren't gonna care about that. Later on, it turns out I was wrong. And that's a, it's an interesting lesson because we, we tell, on this podcast, we talk about following your passions and that also will connect with advertising somewhere down the road. So that's like a good example of the cartooning meeting advertising. So you graduated, you wanted to be a professional cartoonist. Yeah. Where did, where did you end up? Um, so when I graduated first with undergrad, there was a recession going on. It was the original dot-com bust. Um, and so I decided to stick around for an extra year to get my master's because I thought, hey, the job market's not great anyway. Um, I may as well try to make progress and not just live with my folks unemployed for years. Um, so later on, by the way, when we talk about the current economic situation and COVID yeah. and all that, I want people to know I know how you feel. Um, so anyway, I, I stuck around for next year to get my master's. But then when the time came to really apply for jobs, um, you know, I was doing it the same way most of you guys do it. I was looking to see what jobs were being posted and there wasn't a whole lot out there. Um, I was applying to those job posts that I did see, but it was fairly passive. It was kind of sit around and wait for a job uh, posting that looks like it's good, and then I'd apply to it. Um, I did that for months, and even at the time when very few people were hiring, I was even sometimes just asking for informational interviews, which is like a way of saying, hey, uh, can I talk to you for half an hour? I know you're not even hiring. There's not even a prospect of getting a job at the end of this half hour conversation. I just kind of want us to get to know each other a little bit better. And I couldn't even get people to respond to me for that. Um, you know, at the time I got a master's degree, um, had some skills, but couldn't get anybody to respond to me. So um, after then, you know, I, I graduated, um, in, imagine it's May. I live in Champaign for that summer, applying to jobs, not hearing from anyone. Eventually my lease runs up in August. I moved back home with my parents um, in the suburbs of Chicago keep applying to jobs, not hearing anything. Finally, I, I see a job posting for something that has marketing in all caps with like four exclamation points. Um, by the way, if you ever see that, that means sales. And uh, and I applied to that and amazingly actually heard back from somebody that day um, saying, hey, would you like to come in and, um, and interview for a position here? And I was just thrilled. That was basically the first time anybody had even responded to me. Uh, so then I went ahead and said yes, set up an interview, got in there and I learned pretty quickly that this was a sales job. Um, and I know people that are great at sales, uh, so no judgment there, but it was a hundred percent commission. So oh, wow. that they hired everybody, <laughs> they offered me the job. I was thrilled, but they hired everybody because if you don't sell anything, you don't get paid. Um, and they just basically would hire virtually every person that applies. And then within about two weeks, they noticed that if people aren't selling, they just kind of quit. Um, yeah. So that oh, was my stick for that. Didn't last long. <laughs> yeah, it didn't. Yeah. So yeah. then you were like, okay, so I know now if I see marketing in all caps, this is a sales job. Yes, with exclamation points. If the question job... for you. Yeah. Uh, with your experience, you you said that you kind of were waiting around for job postings, but then you were proactive where you started requesting for informational interviews. Is it too late once a job is posted on LinkedIn? Is, it, some people say like that's the job's already taken or they're already pretty far in the recruiting process. What's what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I actually do believe that um, it is 
it's usually like so I've worked on the other side at the agency side. Normally, if you're if you're hiring as an agency, um, you want someone to start pretty soon. Typically, it's usually like we just landed a client or just lost an employee. We've got to replace that person. Ideally, get somebody working here within, you know, maybe um, a couple of weeks to a month. And so normally what agencies do first is they ask their employees like, hey, guys, do you have any friends that meet this description that might be good for this role? Um, do you, um, uh, you know, is there anybody internally that might be good for this role to promote? Um, or like, was there anybody that we interviewed in the past that we liked, but maybe just didn't make the cut? It's sort of like, let's bring all those people in first because right. doing the whole traditional thing of like, let's write up a job description and post it and get a bunch of applications and resumes and sort through them and do interviewing. That is a really time consuming process that really you don't want to do unless you have to. So right. a lot of jobs, I would actually say maybe even half or more of positions in agencies um, never even get posted online because the the goal is to like get somebody um, even before that. So yeah. later on when I talk about being proactive, it's like put yourself out there and get to know people at agencies so that you're on their short list so that when the time comes that they're hiring, um, you don't have to just respond to a, a job description. Now, if there is a job posting, you know, and it's something that you're interested in, of course, apply. Yes. But just know that at that point now, lots and lots of people are are seeing that and applying to it. Um, and it just means that there's a lot more competition for fewer seats. Got it. Okay. So keep going with your story then. Um, so you're at this marketing job. Didn't yeah. last very long there. Where were yeah, you? Next? It was a sales job, door-to-door -door office supplies, which was just uh, torture. <laughs> um, okay. I had to get a car um, and a suit because it involved going door-to-door -to, -door to businesses. Um, my job was to go to you know a territory that's assigned to me, you know, some suburb of Chicago, and hit up sixty businesses a day. So that's six zero businesses a day. Um, just going door to door. I have a bag with you know like a catalog and some order forms, and I'm selling office supplies. So sometimes it's like, hey, you know, do you need printer toner, um, or do you need printers, or sometimes office furniture, um, things like that. If you're going, and the goal was to sell the, to close two sales a day. Um, so you have to do the numbers there. If I hear no 58 times, that's actually a good day. And um, and it turned out I was decent at it. Um, I did well enough that I wasn't one of those people that made zero dollars and had to drop out within a week or two. But I didn't really like it. It wasn't really doing um, it wasn't really like allowing me to be creative or use the skills that I learned in school. And um, and after about, I'd say, a month, month and a half of doing that, um, I could already tell this was not for me. Um, so I remember that my boss would always on Fridays would always give some sort of like a rah, rah pep talk for everybody. Of course, of course. You know, yeah. The typical sales kind of thing. Like, all right, guys. Um, I remember one day in particular, he was like, you know, in life, you need to have these goals and you need to really always uh, revisit them and make sure you're on a path to achieve those goals. And if you ever find yourself off of that path, you know, you need to change something in your life. So that day I went to my boss. I'm like, hey, you know, I found that really inspiring. Uh, by the way, I quit because this is not <laughs> what I want to do. Um, he was like, oh, OK, uh, not what I expected, but, you know, wish you luck. Um, wow. And I remember driving home that day feeling all proud of myself until I realized, oh, you know what? I'm right back where I started. I'm still living with my parents. I'm still unemployed. I have no leads on jobs. And now I also own a car that I have to make payments on. Um, so I don't even really count that as my first job out of college because it was such a short period of time. And at that point, you know, I, it was like September. You have to imagine that, you know, or October. You have to imagine yep. I graduated back in May with a master's. So I realized like I'm not getting anywhere with this whole let's just apply to jobs that are being posted. So I decided a different approach. I thought, you know what, let me start by just seeing what agencies are out there that I'm actually interested in, whether or not they're hiring. And um, started to do some research, you know, some Googling, had a little spreadsheet. And I realized I didn't even realize how many agencies were out there. Uh, like many of you guys, I heard the same names of, you know, the same six to eight agencies that are big. Um, and once I exhausted those, I'm like, what else is out there? Well, you know, it turns out that in a place like Chicago, there's just hundreds of agencies. A lot of them are small and midsize. And I was finding a lot of them looked really cool. So I was kind of making note of like what these places are, um, what's special about each of them, kind of like wrote down a couple of different points about what's unique about them. And then uh, who's a point person I can talk to there. And then I, this is the whole idea of uh, switching the way that I did things. I um, I created a little like satirical newsletter about myself, sort of like if you imagine the black sheep or the onion, yep, um, yep. the subject matter was all myself. So it's like, here's a fake article or a fake interview, um, you know, with me 
Um, here's like some cartoons that I drew up in there trying to actually like, you know, do something unique. And I customized that thing so that on the last page of it, it was actually um, tailored to the agency that I was reaching out to saying like, here's why I'm reaching out to you. You know, there's um, stuff, you know, here's three things I like about what you guys do. Here's a couple of questions I have. I even like address it to a specific person like, hey, Bob Smith. And um, and just said, I would love to get to know you better and introduce myself. Would you be interested in a you know 30 minute phone call or uh, an in-person meeting? So. I, I picked 15 agencies to contact, and uh, most of them were small and midsize. And um, it's the, even that didn't start out that great. So you know, I, I started this thing uh, back then. Actually, submitting resumes or something like this um, as in physical form was not uncommon. So I actually okay. mailed it out to 15 people, a specific person at each of these agencies. And I was, you know, kind of holding my breath, like, you know, am I going to hear back from people? Right. Right. And uh, and it ends up, you know, a week passes, and I hear back from nobody. So I'm like, okay, well, that kind of sucks because I put a lot of effort into this, but I'm not about to give up. I created a little schedule for myself to follow up after a week. So I then went and emailed these 15 people and said, hey, I sent out this thing. Hope you got it. Um, here's why I'm reaching out. Here's who I am. Think that we could set up a little uh, conversation. And then out of those 15 people, you want to guess how many got back to me? Two. Uh, that's a great guess, but no, it was zero still. Complete ghosting. Nobody could give me the time of day. Not yeah. even to just say like, hey, yeah, I got it. Not interested. I heard <laughs> yeah. from nobody. So I was like, all right, you know what? This is not going great, but I'm going to try one more time. I waited another week and I followed up by phone. Um, now, if you've never done cold calling, uh, it's not fun, especially if you're reaching out to people that have already blown you off twice. Um, but I was determined. So, you know, sometimes I would uh, have people's direct numbers, sometimes not. I would get uh, voicemails. I would get receptionists that said that they'd get back to me. Um, and out of and I did that for 15 people. And out of those 15 people, you want to guess how many got back to me? Three. That's a great guess. But nope, it was one. One person bad. just, I think, took pity on me or I just caught them at the right time of day. They're like, oh, yeah, I remember seeing something like that. You know, sure, we're not hiring, but why not? Let's find the time for you to come on in next week. Um, an interview. That was my first interview. It was an informational interview um, at an agency after all that legwork. But I got in there, um, interviewed pretty well, just kind of, you know, there's of course a couple of line there, um, chatted with people and, uh, and, and the um, owner of the agency, this was a smaller agency of like 25 people. So the nice yeah. thing is I got to talk to the owner. She was like, you know what, we weren't really planning on hiring, but we did just have like an uptick in work. Um, and we're entering the holiday season at this time. It was like November. And she was like, how would you like to do a three month internship here? Um, we could pay you 10 bucks an hour. We can rotate you around. Like sometimes we might try you out and, you know, copy your art or account. Um, but sometimes you're also just going to be answering phones and replacing the printer paper and emptying the dishwasher. What do you say? And I said, yes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then that was a, it was a great three months. Like it was exactly as advertised. I did all those types of things and more. Um, it really started to learn the ropes and see where I might fit in. And I love that they tried me out in different places. Um, nowadays, that's called like a rotational program, but it was pretty unofficial back then. And then after three months of that, they sat me down and they said, all right, your internship's wrapping up. Um, but we think that you did a good job. And in particular, we thought you did a great job as a copywriter. Um, and that's actually something we have a need for because we've had, again, an increase in client work. And we'd like to hire you um, as a entry level copywriter. What do you say? Of course, I said yes. So I started uh, at that point. It was the beginning of March, almost a full year after I graduated with the master's. And that is how I entered the world of advertising. Now, you know, for those who are listening, why we call it the breaking and entering podcast. Yeah. It was just scraping and clawing and uh, trying everything possible to get in. But yeah, I, the story of tenacity. I, story, I like to share that story with students. Uh, my students, I usually give a job hunting lecture the second day of class. And I share that story because, again, I want them to know I don't know you and your life. And I don't know what it is to job hunt in the world of COVID. But I do know what it is to have trouble breaking in, having people ghost you. Um, feeling like you're just doing it all wrong. It's major blow to the self-esteem. Now, in retrospect, it, you know, it sounds like kind of a poor me story. I, I did a lot of things wrong. And so when I do that job hunting lecture, most of it is, here's what I wish I knew then. Um, let me share that with you now so that you don't have to go through that again. 
Well, before we get into those tips and what you've learned, I want to just break down a couple things from that story because it is a story of tenacity and what you kind of it's kind of the status quo of what you need to do nowadays, especially with the pandemic. But even before pre-COVID, this is the this is kind of the norm. You kind of have to have a story where you're breaking in and you're going you're going above and beyond to break into a good agency. It's expected. And now even more so today, you have to do it. Yeah. So did you know you wanted to be a copywriter when you I mean, obviously, you're you had that three page kind of newsletter of yourself, similar to what Jeff Goodby did. He wrote mm -hmm. a two page autobiography. But when you when you submitted this, did you was your narrative like, hey, guys, I know I would be a great copywriter for your agency. Let me in type. Was that your route? No. And that was one of the big mistakes I made that I advise students not to do. Um, I often think of myself as like a jack of all trades. That is not a, the way to get into an agency or a job successfully. It is okay to be a hybrid kind of person who's interested in multiple things and yep. good at multiple things. But if you position yourself as, hey, I can do these five different things and I'd be happy to take an account role or project management or strategy or creative, whatever you got, that tells people that I don't have my shit together and that if they hire me, I'm basically going to use their agency and this job as a way of discovering myself. It was right. entirely the wrong way to go. Also, it positions you as a generalist and the expectation, you know, the, the rest of that statement of jack of all trades is master of none. It creates the impression that wow. you're kind of good at, at a lot of things, but you're not great at anything. Um, right. So it's I did not say I'm, I'm applying to a job as a copywriter. And that was a big mistake. Somebody told me at a bar, my when I was 21, of course, uh, that it's when you're looking for a job, it's better to shoot with a rifle than a shotgun. So be specialized, know what you want to do, know your story, shoot with a rifle and not spread out like a shotgun. Yeah, that's a, that's a great metaphor. I, I might steal that because that's also uh, what branding and strategy is all about. You know, now that's, that's an area that I am an expert at now, but when you talk about brands, brand positioning means, you know, what is that one thing that you want to be known for? Um, that's the best that a brand can hope for um, because we there's so much noise out there. There's too many options. So when you're focused, then uh, you actually have a chance of cutting through the clutter. It's not guaranteed, but you at least have a shot. If you are all scattershot, um, then you have zero chance. So yes, get focused on what you want to do. And what I, I want to try something, and I've never done this on another podcast, but, but with you, I'm, I think this will work. And if it doesn't work, I'll just edit it out. But yeah, <laughs> let, let's say there's a student that is a, a, a fantastic art director uh, or graphic designer specifically, um, and she has a passion for um, 3D art for an agency. How do you brand yourself? Like, how would you go about in this scenario branding yourself? Do you start with a LinkedIn? Do you start with your portfolio? You're a 3D expert for an agency and you want to get hired. Where, where do you start? In that yeah, scenario? so um, it, it, for a creative, actually, it's easier than for other people because of that portfolio. I, I would actually make sure you weave it into everything. So um, in your LinkedIn, I would make sure that it's right up there in your bio, sometimes even your title. You don't want your title to be um, you know, on LinkedIn, student at University of Illinois. Like that's just too general. Um, they can already get that from the rest of your bio. But if it said something like, you know, um, art director, you know, art director student with 3D expertise or something like that right up there, then people get it. That, and also I, I like that. Um, I like when resumes actually have a bit of a, um, um, you know, sort of like an overview line at the top, not something generic. You know, a lot of people have those kind of purpose statements that are really generic. Um, and I say, if you're going to do that, don't even bother. But if you can sum up what you're all about in one sentence, then go for it. And then if you have that on your resume and you have that on a LinkedIn profile, and of course you work it into like your uh, cover letter, then you know your portfolio when they get there as a creative, they'll be able to see that. Um, even if you're I not like a creative, you. even if you're not a creative, then it's even more important that you're focused about what is that thing that you stand for because they don't even get a chance to look at your work. Ah, uh, let's go into that then, because so it's pretty. Not obvious, but it, you have to weave things together with your portfolio if you're creative. So let's talk about, you know, you want to go into strategy or account side. How do you make yourself stand out to an employer? Because everybody wants to be an account. Everybody wants to soon. Everybody wants to go to account to strategy at some point if you're not a creative. That, for the most part, generally speaking. So how do you stand yeah. out? Yeah, so um, the best way is that idea of thinking about your personal brand, which is hard to do. So the mistake that I made as a student turning into a graduate is um, 
I totally downplayed or ignored what actually made me unique, which was the cartooning stuff. That was like my life for several years. And I was pretty sure that I was like the only cartoonist type that was applying to these jobs. Instead, I did the whole thing of like, you know, hire me because I am a uh, creative slash business savvy hybrid that also, you know, strategy. And also I pay attention to detail and work hard. Well, guess what? Now I sound like every other person. So I, um, that is bad, bad positioning, bad strategy. If I said something along the lines and, um, you know, I wouldn't phrase it exactly like this. Um, but you know, if it's like, uh, I'm a, a cartoonist turned advertising exec, um, who's great at coming up with ideas on a deadline and entertaining tens of thousands of people at a time. Well, now that sounds more interesting. That sounds more unique. Now it's sort of like speaking to the fact that like, yes, I can be creative on a deadline. Um, but I also, um, I can also have a sense of humor. I also do have like a side that's responsible, all that kind of stuff. So that's like the first thing that I tell people to do. In fact, in my job hunting lecture, my first real slide of substance is um, work on your personal brand. That basically means like you should be able to, for starters, um, sum up what you're all about in, uh, start by coming up with a paragraph of like three sentences. Elevator pitch. Elevator pitch, exactly. Yeah. Um, three sentences that sums up what you're all about can work as a paragraph in your cover letter. Um, it can be distilled into your LinkedIn profile and also it will um, work as an elevator pitch, meaning that if you're like a, at a job fair, that's your, you know, 15 to 30 second pitch. Then once you do that, um, now try to distill it down to a single sentence. And then once you do that, see if you can actually summarize it in just a single concept, um, you know, that's just a couple of words. Um, and uh, if you're able to do that, now you're in a position where you can... Um, have that like infiltrate all of your materials and then you can start to put yourself out there most students that i talk to they skip that step even after i give my whole horror story about what i did wrong their first step is they come to me at office hours you know pretend that it's like march um a couple months before they graduate and they're like i applied to a hundred places and i don't hear back from anybody what am i doing wrong and then i ask them well have you you know what is your what are you all about what's your personal brand and they kind of give me a blank stare where I haven't done that part yet. Well, then why are we reaching out to 100 places? You're just wasting your own time. You are now a generic applicant. You could apply to another 100 and never hear back from somebody. But first start, work on your own stuff, really think about what matters and, and look at it through the lens of your target audience. This is what we learn in our field. We have an advantage over like chemistry majors and philosophy majors. Um, right. This is actually the world that we're in. Finding out like that one special thing about a brand and then making sure it comes across in a creative way. Do that for yourself. It's hard to do for yourself. You have it's to really so hard. like what would they care about? You might even ask friends like what makes me special. That's smart because in our field, I think we're we're good at branding other things. And then when we have to look at ourselves, we can we can reach an obstacle. So I like your point on talking to friends like, you know, your close friends that will be honest with you. What are you like? What am I good at? What do you think when you when you hear my name type thing? Um, another thing is we're also young. You have had uh, more experience than us. And you know your personal brand um, to a T at this point in your career. So we, I guess, notes note to students out there: your personal brand is evolving. Uh, so get in, get involved as much as possible throughout college to shape it for what it is at that moment. Yes. And then sell it, sell it to, you know, you know, to the employers out there and you will change, but that's okay. As long as you have a good grip of who you are and what you're good at, at that moment. Yeah. Your personal brand can also flex to different audiences. So it might be, let's say you were applying to uh, jobs, but then at the same time, you're also applying to grad school. I'm just making this up. Um, yes. Your personal yeah. brand might come across differently for those different audiences, or it might even come across differently for a big agency versus a small agency. And it has um, and to, I say that my brain is all figured out, but it's changing all the time too. It really has to flex for different, the different audiences, you know, and cause employers will notice that if you, in, in general, if you keep the same cover letter and they, they notice that you're only changing one word. Yeah. If it's not personalized. Yeah. HR and recruiters will sniff that out immediately. So you have to tailor it to what you have to do your research when you're applying out there or if, whether it's grad school large agency, small agency, you have to tailor yourself and your brand and your story to that. Yep. And that was one thing that I did right with my job hunt, which was um, identifying places I'm interested in and uh, noting a couple of things about each one that, that appeals uh, to me. So then when I would write a cover letter, I always tell students, give one paragraph about you and one paragraph about them. Paragraph about you is your elevator pitch. You know, you might tweak it slightly per agency, but usually it's about the same but summarize that in about three sentences and then give an equal amount of uh, 
uh, copy uh, writing to the agency you're applying to. And don't just make it generic um, and don't make it an opportunity to then go back and talk about yourself. But like, you should be able to identify three things that you like about that place. If you don't, then why do you want to go work there and be exactly. there for 40, 50 hours a week? Um, so, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, you know, I really like how your agency does more than just traditional advertising, but you do a lot of like a digital and experiential because I think that's the future of where things are going. I also like that you guys have, a, um, you know, strong values around, um, you know, uh, doing good works and that you have like some nonprofits in part of your roster. And I also like that you guys, um, you know, all have bring your dogs to work on Friday or whatever. Sure. A lot of these things you can figure out from their website and their social media. It shows that you've done your homework. And it shows that you really want to work with them. Um, if you, like you said, if you do the whole thing where all you do is swap out the name of the agency, they can tell. Um, yep. Plus, you always have that one time that you forgot to swap out an agency name. I did that. I've done that. I did it too. You're never yeah. getting that job. The second that no. you do that, that job has gone away forever. So it's embarrassing, but it is. It happens. Yeah. Yep. That's why we do this podcast. So we, <laughs> people are inevitably going to do that. But if they, they might listen to this and, they can learn a little bit of something. But also, last yeah. thing on the, the whole uh, job search and cover letters and all that, um, show tell them that you can add value to them and then how they can add value to you. Those are two important things on the cover letter or in an interview itself, adding value and how you can get value. Yeah, that's that's great. So that's that's a perfect way of capturing when I said think of your target audience. You know, they may not care that much that you have this particular skill set or have this experience. Uh, you have to make it clear to them um, that what it means for them is, you know, I'm a fast learner. I fit well with your culture. I fit well with the work that we're going to do. I provide a unique voice. Um, you need to show them what it means for them. It's like that whole idea of sell benefits, not features. Um, yep. When you think of yourself as a product, features are the things you can do and the things you've done. Benefits are what does your audience get out of it? Exactly. Amazing. So where are we at with your story? You, uh, you, you work, you got the job at this great agency, the smaller agency, correct? Yep, that's right. And I was a copywriter and uh, I worked there for two years and uh, which is pretty typical in our in our field, you know, average job length is like 18 months to two years. Sure. Um, and I was the poster child of that for sure. I had an art director partner that I worked with really well. Um, and um, then she eventually went to, you know, a lot of times at agencies, copywriters and art directors work well. I also got great experience. Um, that agency didn't have any full time strategists, but my boss recognized that because of my experience at U of I, um, particularly for my master's, I actually had some strategy chops. And so she had me do strategy. I didn't even realize it at the time. Um, nice. She was just saying things like, hey, you know, instead of the usual thing where I just give you the brief and you start coming up with stuff like we usually do for creatives, you know, hey, Shahar, how about actually you, I'm going to hand you the research. Why don't you go through it and identify, you know, what are the main, how should we prioritize our audiences? And what do you think like the one main message should be? Um, and, you know, I'd go through and highlight things and say, okay, I think, you know, we should focus on this and not that. And here's why she'd be like, yeah, great. Why don't you put that into a brief? I didn't realize it, but she was having me do strategy. So one great thing about that. And by the way, for anyone out there who's thinking about graduate school, it's not for everybody, but for me, it did not help me get my first job. It just kind of raised the ceiling of where I could go. And that's something that I'll, I'll talk about later on. Ooh, interesting. Um, what, yeah. what type of strategist would you say you are? Um, so typically, uh, creative strategist is my last title in agency life, and it's actually also my uh, my title that I chose for myself for um, uh, Blue Green Branding, which is the consultancy that I co-own with a partner. Um, so creative strategist means different things to different people, uh, but it very often involves things like uh, messaging strategy as a part of that. Um, you know, determining what is like the main one main thing we want to focus on. I do a lot of brand strategy. So this goes outside the realm of just advertising, um, determining what a brand is all about. Um, and what is not just like, what is that one thing you want to be known for, which is positioning? And then also like, what's your overall personality and tone of voice of the brand, um, which is known as brand persona, um, defining and then messaging is a really big part of that, which is like, you know, like what we just discussed. What are the main points that we want to communicate and in what order and, and doing that in a way so that it can flex for an elevator pitch or for like in a full blown website. Um, what, are, what are you most excited when a client says, I need help with this thing? What, what gets you most excited in your current consulting um, position? It, it changes over time. Lately, one of my favorite things is naming because um, naming comes right off of that brand strategy. And usually companies don't just do brand strategy for the fun of it. They do that because then they need to do certain things. But I love startups. Um, new companies, new products, 
and helping them name themselves. Nice. Um, sometimes they're existing organizations and they need to rebrand for some reason. Um, but, you know, naming fits right in that sweet spot of strategy and writing. Um, and, and then I love it because it has a real lasting impact. So I do really enjoy creating ad campaigns, but a lot of times you do a great ad campaign, it lasts for a year and then you move on. Um, if you name a company, it might be there for decades, which is kind of a cool feeling. That is cool. And naming is so, it's a fun process for me. I, I remember having to name this podcast and I called, I wrote them all down. I thought about, it was just a whirlwind. I, I, I had this notebook. I filled it up. I was calling people left and right. What do you think about this? I thought about naming it advise playing on advertising and like, uh, it's it's such a crazy process. What what what's a what's one good tip that you can give to, to the listeners out there about naming? So naming, yeah, and I remember you doing this by the way, and running that by me. I love the name breaking and entering. I also love how you carry it through creatively, um, just like in your intro, and you know you talk about um, oh, what is the word like people? What's your scheme? I'm trying to remember. Uh, yeah, what you call it? So anyway, it's I love the way you pull it through. Yeah. So my my best tips are like. Um, you want to start with the fact, and I actually have, um, I, I should share later on, on, on Blue Green Branding's website, there's a whole out, illustrated outline of how to go about naming. I love all of those articles. Oh, good. They're Thanks. amazing. And I That's, read them all. Finally realizing I should bring cartooning more because, you know, this this world can be kind it's, of dry sometimes. We've visuals all read are so important. And even on social media, you should apply this stuff to social media because it's, I would click on that 100% of the time because it catches my eye. And it's like, a, it's like a more advanced infographic. Exactly. It's, it's more entertaining, perfect, but it's, yeah. And it's me playing to my strengths. I am not a designer or an art director by trade. I know great designers. Their work looks super polished. They understand uh, not just graphic design, but also color theory and typography. That is not me. So it's like, all right, what can I do that plays to my strength and drawing works out? But yeah, for the, for the naming stuff, it's like, first, just have a really clear foundation of what's that one thing, main message you're trying to communicate. Um, it should be a single thing, not like, hey, we want to communicate that it's like fast, but also easy, but also affordable. No, you got to pick one thing. And then um, you got to really define like, what's that brand persona or tone of voice? Sometimes it really helps to just think of a benchmark brand. Like, oh, we're kind of like, you know, we want a voice that's kind of like Google, or we want kind of a voice that's more like Dollar Shave Club. But if you have that persona and positioning figured out, then you're ready to move on to actual naming. Then at that point, you want to go really broad, explore lots and lots and lots of names and words and phrases and concepts. Most of them will never go anywhere, but you want to be really expansive. This is where it really helps to brainstorm with other people. And then once you feel like you've run the gamut of tons of possibilities, then you start to go narrow. Then you start to see like, are any of these actual contenders? Are some of these things... Um, you know, uh, do they have some opportunity or is this something that like this is an area that's oversaturated and everybody does it? Um, obviously, if you're doing it for a client, it's a little different than doing it for yourself. But um, you, you do want to first you you build a foundation, you go really wide, then you kind of uh, pull it to together afterwards. I mean, then there's all kinds of other stuff like finding out about legal availability. I don't want to get into that. That's boring. But I, I think that whole process can translate to a lot of different aspects of personal branding. Um, thinking about what you want to mention in an interview, thinking about that position statement that, or the elevator pitch that we just talked about. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of parallels between those. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Amazing. Um, oh, yeah. So you asked me kind of where my story went. So, um, yeah, yeah. So at that first agency, that partner I worked with really well, um, her name was Becca, and she went to another agency because that's what we do in our field. She had um, got a tip about a, a tiny agency of like five people that had just one big fashion client, and she went over there. And then I was communicating with her while I was still at my first agency. She's like, you got to come to this place. This is just um, the, the work is really fun and creative. And because it's so small, it actually is a good place for a hybrid person like you that can do different things. And also we have some strategic and copy needs. You should check it out. So I left my agency to join her at that one. Um, and we practically ran that place for about two years. Um, and then while we were doing that, we also had some freelance work on the side. Freelance work is a thing I could do a whole podcast on. Um, I have students come talk to me, but, um, Freelance is just, you know, side work that you do um, usually for hourly pay. And, you know, usually that kind of stuff ramps up slowly when you don't have many connections. You know, at this point, I'm like 25 years old. Uh, but, you know, it's like I had some clients that were like a, a friend of a friend, a neighbor, 
Um, and, and I was doing some writing work for them. Hey, can you help me write my website or whatever? Um, or write this flyer. And then Becca had some freelance clients. She was a couple of years older, so she had, um, more of an established network. And, um, sometimes she would bring me in on her projects. It's like, Hey, you know, I've got a logo project, but I also need a tagline or I'm helping design a website, but we need copy. So we started to kind of pool together our freelance resources and it really started to take off. And we hit a point where we were working together during the day at this agency. And then our evenings and weekends, we're working together on freelance work. And we're like, you know, we're going to get to a point where we have a choice to make because this freelance work could really turn into something. But it's you're, you're uh, limited by how much time you have in the day. So right. after two years, we actually made the decision to make the leap to, to shift over to our freelance work and make that full time. Um, and that's when we incorporated. That was the birth of Bates Marone, um, uh, Sweet Design. and um, you know, people ask, how do you make that leap? Well, it started by building up several years worth of freelance clients so that we weren't making the leap to make zero dollars. Um, we were making the leap to kind of continue work we were already doing. Wow. Uh, so what was that tipping point where you guys looked at each other, describe that moment when you're like, all right, let's do this. Let's start our <laughs> own agency. What uh, are some of those checkpoints that you had that you're like, okay, we have this, 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 let's do um, this. Some of it was kind of like um, just early warning signs like, oh, a client wants to talk during the day and okay. uh, we feel like we have to kind of duck out during lunch to take a phone call during the day because it's it's in agency life. It's understood that creatives are going to have freelance work on the side, but it's also poor form to um, do that while you're at while work. Patient as you do it and you remove yourself from work, you don't make your, your work suffer. Um, we were getting to a point where like oh, our work might suffer if we keep doing this. The real tipping point, without getting into too much detail, was the agency itself that we were at was struggling a bit, um, uh, a little bit from you know client work coming in, a little bit from mismanagement. But one day our paychecks actually bounced, which was a new experience for us, meaning that like you know we got paid and it didn't actually go through. And this was right around the holidays, and that was tough. We did get paid within like a day or two. It was kind of chalked up to some sort of an administrative error. But we're like, this is a sign that the red flag. Um, yeah, it's a red flag. And it made the job, it made the jump easier for us because it wasn't like we were leaving a super stable thing to go to like, you know, the Wild West. It was like we're leaving something that's kind of unstable and shrinking um, to go to something that's kind of unstable and growing. Let's give it a shot. Um, so that was the moment for us, the day that our paychecks bounced in early December. And we're like, we are. <laughs> let's then you this. guys bounced. Yeah, basically. Within a month or two, we were we were gone and moving on. Wow. So yeah. what, you know. What was your agency like or what is it like today? Give us the rundown on Bates Marone. Yeah, so Bates Marone is a little boutique agency that specializes in brand design um, because my background in strategy and writing and then Becca's background in art direction and design. Um, we were a nice team that way. We also had to learn on the fly, like what other stuff are we good at? It turned out that like that, you know, that sales job I didn't really like back in the day. Um, those skills actually came in handy for business development. It became my job to get new clients, which meant I had to be comfortable. Uh, I wasn't going door to door anymore, but I had to be comfortable reaching out to people that might just shoot me down or never get back to me. Um, Becca right. actually had a real talent for um, operations, um, running the books you know, like things that involve payables and account payables, account receivables. I'm terrible with money. So I'm glad that she was good at that. Um, and then, so when we started out, we, we were just working in our own living rooms at home. And then eventually we had a, um, a client that was in real estate and he got us a tiny little office in the South loop of Chicago. It was something like 800 square feet. And we usually had half of that filled up with boxes for, you know, whatever the direct mail piece or, um, you know, marketing swag was that we were going to send out. Um, so we actually then, you know, within a few months had an actual office that was tiny, no windows. Um, and then like the nature of the work that we were doing um, sometimes involved, we needed a little bit of extra help. So that's when we like went like at the time, I think it was Craigslist. You know, we were looking for some junior uh, designers that would be willing to, you know, work at a certainly hourly rate for 20 hours a week kind of a thing part time. So we started to build up our employee base by, you know, having just freelancers. Um, and then eventually we got to a point where like, we have a real operation here. We actually have like some healthy client work. Uh, we had landed a couple of bigger ones and we had like, you know, three or four freelancers that were continuously working with us. We're like, I think it's time to take the next step. And that's when we decided to uh, get a bigger office space. We went from like 800 square feet to something more like 2,500. So it's like triple the size, nicer nice. place in River North. Um, we actually like pulled the trigger and hired some of our employees full time instead of just uh, freelance. And uh, at the same time, um, my wife and I had just moved and bought our first home um, and learned that we were about to have a baby. And that's when the Great Recession started. 
it was like literally the next month after we pulled the trigger on all these big moves, you know, oh. sign a five-year lease, buy a first home, find out you're having a kid, hire employees. That's when the economy completely collapsed in, um, in 2008, 2009. So again, I understand stress from, from different levels, but, um, yeah, but you know what? We actually worked through that pretty well. One thing we learned was that in a recession, people's advertising spend goes down, but they often end up taking some of that money and reinvest it in their brand. Um, they, they see the brand as something a little separate from their ad budget. Like yep. this is something that's like a foundational thing that we need. So that's when a lot of companies would refocus on their strategy or redo their logo or website, um, replan things. How and fun. That. I feel like there's a fun challenge in that people are companies are definitely doing today. Yes, absolutely. Which is why I tell people diversify yourself a little bit. Um, that's also why I really like our program at U of I for advertising. We teach more than just let's create a campaign. It goes deeper than that. And uh, today, a lot of brands also do things like let's work on our internal branding, you know, while we decrease our advertising spend for the cost of running like, you know, a single ad on television during a major time slot. The cost of that can easily be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars or more. If you're talking about like the Super Bowl, um, mm -hmm. you can take one ad away and use that money to build up your your brand um and it goes a lot further so uh just the kind of thing where it helps to kind of do more than just advertising yeah um yeah and then basically did that uh bates marone uh grew every year if, even in the recession um but after about five years um of us doing that uh at the point i think it was something like 24 no what it's 2011 i was um you know, we started the agency. I was 26 years old. I'd barely worked at agency life. I was getting kind of tired. I was kind of ready for something different. Um, I felt like, um, you know, after running the agency for five years, the bigger we grew, the less I liked my job. All the stuff like strategy and creative that I really enjoyed doing and was best at, we were hiring people to do that work. And so that I could focus on things like business development and client management. At that time, I was more of an account director than anything else. And I was like, I don't always want to be the guy that puts on a suit and has like three client meetings a day. And then on the side, we have to like, you know, talk to our landlord about this or our health insurance rep about that. That's just part of business ownership. It's just like yeah. a completely different job and skill set um, than the than the skills that got you into the game. So I decided at that point I wanted to move on to something different. Um, so I sold my half to my partner, Becca, um, and we parted amicably. And by the way, Bates Marone is still going strong. Um, she still runs the agency. She has something like 10 employees. I think around the time that I left, we had something like eight employees. And um, and I decided I wanted to do something where I got to do more strategy and creative. That's when I went to work at an agency called Avenue in Chicago that was like a branding marketing design agency. Again, smaller size, like 25, 35 people. Um, but I got to be a creative strategist there. So it was sort of like, a, now I get to go back to doing the stuff I like best. Let somebody else take care of landing client work or contracts or whatever. And uh, did that for three years, enjoyed it. But at that point, my kids were starting to grow up and I lived out in the burbs and I was commuting more than an hour every day. And I didn't see my kids as often as I'd like. And I was looking for more of like a work life balance change where I could actually like, you know, see my family more. Um, also, you know, something people don't talk about a lot, but like at that point, I was like 33, 34 year old. I was I was almost an old man in agency life, especially on the creative side. Um, just culturally, I didn't always feel like I fit. I felt like I was ready for what's next. And that's where it helped that I kept in touch with old faculty, um, old professors of mine at U of I. You know, I happened to be in communication with them, even like through Facebook. They were like, hey, just so you know, we're hiring right now. I don't know if you're ever interested in teaching, um, but, uh, you know, consider applying. I remember thinking like, well, I'm looking for a change. I would like to teach someday, but, you know, not right now. But I might as well go apply to this job and see what happens. I'm never going to get the job. I just, you know, let's see what the process is like. <laughs> yeah. And then one thing led to another and I got the job. And then my wife and I had to sit down. We met at U of I, which was a nice touch. It's like, do we want to move down to Champaign-Urbana and have me uh, be a professor and, um, and you know, raise the kids in, in our old college yeah. town? You know, my wife also uh, works full time. So we talked about all that and we decided to go for it. So, yeah, that was six years ago. Amazing story. And I think it's one that students deserve to hear and they need to hear. Um, how was that transition into, you know, from going to agency life to teaching? Was it tough? Uh, it was tough at first, but it was, it was awesome. I mean, I, I love teaching. I hate grading, by the way, but I love teaching. Um, I, maybe I just feel that a lot since I just came off of grading finals a couple of days ago. Um, 
but yeah, the transition, I mean, I'd never taught before. I was uh, Peter Sheldon's TA for creative advertising, you know, cool. whatever that was 15 years prior. So um, 12 years prior. So that was, that was the extent of my teaching experience. Um, you do not need to be a professional teacher to get a job teaching at a university, interestingly enough. Um, but like, I, I was excited to kind of like meet the challenge. I was hired initially to teach the brand and advertising strategy course. Um, so I, I really looked into like how to develop courses. I talked to other instructors to make sure it fit into the curriculum. Well, I remember that I put like a ton of planning into my first lecture. Um, and you know, things like syllabus and rubrics and like stuff I had nothing, didn't know anything about. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, um, and then I taught my first class and it was a thrill. And then I'm like, oh, I got to develop a new lecture for like two days from now. So it was just yeah. like I was running. And then my my first year was fun. I, I thought I did a pretty good job. You know, there's things I didn't know that I just had to learn on the fly. Um, and then after they always say, like, you know, that your first time teaching a course is the hardest because you got to develop all the materials. But after that, you can, if not coast, at least you can like make small tweaks each time. You don't have to do it from scratch. But then that's when they asked if I would instead shift over to teach the capstone course. It was a new curriculum at the time. They just switched over to a new curriculum to what we know today. And uh, I'm like, all right, so if I take over the capstone course, I have to start all over again to develop something. But I decided that I would go for it. And um, I decided to make it simulate agency life as much as possible. So in developing that course, I drew from all my work experience. I knew, you know, for any anybody listening who's taken the course, they understand that it's like you're doing real projects for real clients. Um, you're working in groups, but you have specific roles within your group. So that makes it a little bit different than all those group projects you've done in the past. Um, and it's pretty fast paced. It's like a condensed eight week course um, where you really don't have much breathing room. Every two weeks, there's some major milestone that you're trying to hit. So I really enjoy teaching that because um, I feel like I'm back in my agency days. Every class is like broken up into five or six groups, which means I get to help manage five or six agencies at a time. Yeah, that I, I never thought of it from your perspective. You're kind of like the, the CEO or the, the, the agency president. Yeah, I thought about, um, you know, on my LinkedIn profile, I could say something like, I've helped to run, you know, 300 agencies, because it's true. It's like, I mean, yeah. of course, it's not the same thing as run, helping to run Bates Marone or, or now Blue Green Branding, but um, that's not easy to help a team of students uh, create real work. Oh, no. Yeah, I. it could be difficult sometimes, but you, you did a great job, and so did Marissa. My, I want to shift gears, though, um, for yeah. time purposes. Let's talk about real quick. You know, you've had a lot of experience through recessions. You, you mentioned um, so connecting that to COVID. What can students do? Well, you know, either highlighting some success points of your story or just what you tell students today. What can students tangibly do today to help better themselves to get a job throughout yeah. the pandemic? Um, so first, I mean, the stuff I talked about, personal brand, really think about that for yourself. It's even more important in a recession than otherwise, um, because it means that any job you apply to, there's even more competition. So you really need to think about what, what makes you stand out, um, in a positive way. Um, and then also the networking aspect, this is the part where a lot of people fall short. They, they spend so much time and effort on getting that resume or uh, portfolio just perfect, but then they're very shy about reaching out. Um, the, you know, use LinkedIn to your advantage. Um, uh, for example, you and I, Gino, we helped to launch the advertising at Illinois LinkedIn group just earlier this year. Um, and it took off immediately. I remember we had a goal of like, let's see if we can get, you know, 250, 300 people to sign up in the first month. And it was like 700 in the first month. Um, yep. But people need to use that. Go through the list of people in that, you know, if you're, if you're an advertising alum from Illinois or a student, Go through that list of people, see who you want to reach out to, see who you want to connect with, um, see people who have the kind of title that you would like to have someday or that work at a company that you'd like to work at someday. And then don't be shy. Connect with them. Um, put in the subject line of the, the, the connection message, um, you know, hi, I'm an advertising student um, or, you know, a recent grad. Uh, I'd love to connect and ask you some questions if you're up for it. Set up conversations with people, even if their company is not hiring right now, because someday they will hire. And again, when they hire, you don't want to be one of 50 or 100 people that are just applying to that post online. You want to be on that short, short list of people that when the bosses say, hey, uh, we need a you know junior account exec. Does anybody know somebody that might be a good candidate? You could be on that list. You could be on the list of you know five people in consideration before it even gets posted online. Um, so you definitely want to reach yeah. out. 
Yeah, find find a list of 10 people. I challenge the students, find a list of 10 people you want to get connected with and reach out to them. They very often, especially if they graduated in the past five years, were a former student of mine that were in the exact same shoes that you're in right now. Um, they were like, I can't find a job. I don't know anybody. Well, my network is your network. Talk to former professors, um, talk to people that maybe if you ever had an internship, but don't be shy. Reach out to people through LinkedIn. Um, and then the last thing is just um, constantly try to improve yourself. Um, I know creatives that start picking up free freelance work. I know people like in media that pick up some uh, uh, some certifications and things like that. Um, yep. Google, uh, Trade Desk, which was a big sponsor of our recent Sanders Symposium. They have yep. a lot of certificates out there. Learn programmatic, all kinds of things like that. Um, but show that you're constantly bettering yourself and put yourself out there. I have a group of uh, students that you know were just in my class that uh, four of them are getting together and creating their own agency um, while they wait to try to get uh, full-time jobs. And I think that's awesome. That's a, that's a tough challenge, but they reached out to me asking for advice. And then I was talking to an agency owner I know just two days ago and mentioned to him like, hey, you know, um, I've got some students that had like internships get canceled and stuff and they started their own agency. He's like, oh, introduce me to them. Sometimes we're looking for like doing some, uh, we're doing some creative brainstorming and we could just use an extra couple of uh, heads on this thing. We could so you know, cool. pay people to go be part of this process. So that's gonna be something, an email that I send out later today is introducing this agency owner to this group of students because they put themselves out there. Now they're top of mind for me. Amazing, amazing. I, I've never even thought about that. Um, kind of connecting with that, um, starting up your own agency. There is a program started by a couple alumni that graduated two years ago from the University of Illinois. They called it the COVID-19 Business Fellowship Program where they are looking, this is a shameless plug here, they mm -hmm. are looking for um, creatives. The application is due May 29th. And basically what they're doing is they have, kind of like what we talked about with uh, the Capstone Project, they found around 50 small businesses in the Chicagoland area that are struggling. And they're matching up three students. Um, they're Not three students, they're matching up a student with two mentors. Mm. Um, and then they need a creative help as well if to assign to each business to help them out through this um this crisis so that's fantastic yeah it's so it's so interesting and just the work that they've done so far and the amount of mentors that are willing to help for free to give their advice they have a junior mentor and a senior mentor on each team oh that's one great. two students yep that's really smart because i know that sometimes people want to talk to someone who's just one or two years out of school so that they can relate better and then sometimes people want to talk to someone who's much more advanced and senior um, cause you know, who doesn't want to be connected to people like that? Yeah. These guys are good. Uh, they, they start, they started out of college working at cons like a large consultancies. So mm -hmm. they, they've got that business mindset and they, now they just need that creative push. So whoever's listening out there, I mentioned it before, go ahead and look this up. I'll put the link in the description. That's great. I know that also our program is trying to set up a, um, a mentorship program in this coming year. Um, I'm trying to remember the platform. People Grove, I think, is maybe the platform we're going to try to use. I'm not that familiar with it, but that's the, next evolution. that's the next evolution of, you know, the LinkedIn group is just a starting point, just doing whatever we can to push people to be together. Yep. Yep. And that's it's necessary nowadays. You have to have connection and people are more willing to connect, do Skype calls, do Zoom calls because they're at home, at home bored. So, yeah. That, Although I, I would emphasize uh, they are home, but um, I, I tell students, don't assume everyone's in a different situation. So don't assume sure. if you're on board right now, that they are as well. Like for me, um, being home with the four kids while my wife and I both work full time, it was a really hard eight weeks. I was super stressed every Wednesday when I would actually teach my sandwich class right yeah. up to the final, you know, a couple of Wednesdays ago. Um, it's not easy to get away and do all that while managing That's the schedules too. So That's yeah. Good point. Reach out. People want to talk to you. You Be might patient. have to odd hours as a result. Um, I mean, I'm, if students are open, it's easier for me to talk at nine o'clock at night than it is at noon. But yes, people are willing to help. Just don't be shy. That's that. And be patient because now people are, they're being parents, they're being chefs, they're being personal trainers. They're doing all these things at home and they all have different responsibilities. The yep. only thing else, Shahar, I'm going to collect a list of resources that um, I'll share with the listeners out there. We're pretty much done on time here. So I'll yep. share that with them. So if you want to email me that and That's do cool. I have your permission to um, share your LinkedIn profile? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 
And I tell everybody, please reach out to me. I want to get to know you. Maybe you're a freshman that's not going to have my class for three years. Maybe you graduated four years ago or you don't even go to U of I or anything like that. Um, if you think that I can help you out, please reach out. I'd like to get to know you. Um, I'd like to help you if I possibly can. Well, thank you very much. I know your story is going to inspire students out there. So I appreciate you sharing. Yeah. Again, I, I know that kind of misery and uh, don't beat yourself up. You, you're going to get through this. Just you get, you're going to have to be scrappy. Do not sit and, and wait this thing out. There's no waiting it out. You're going to have to go get it. That's right. All right. Well, thank you very much. You got it. My pleasure. Take care. See ya. all for listening to the entire episode uh, with Shahar. He's awesome. Um, one of my favorite professors. Although I never had him in a classroom, I worked with him over the past year um, developing a network for our ad students at U of I. Great guy altogether. Um, as you could tell, please reach out to him on LinkedIn. I'll share it below. Once again, I encourage all of you guys to um, reach out to him, get to know him. Uh, he just might help you find that next opportunity. Can't do this episode without a couple people. Got to give a shout out to my usual, Buchan, John, and Mikey Malarkey. Buchan is the art director and Mikey is the audio tech guy. I have no clue how to do this podcast without these guys. So shout out to them. I'm not sure who's going to be on my next episode, so that'll be a surprise. Thanks for listening to the Breaking and Entering Podcast.